0: This program provides alternate views on the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. This program is not affiliated in any way with the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Listener discretion is advised if your testimony is tender. You're listening to the In Search of Truth podcast with Marcus Joseph. Episode 3, Bad Pasts. The Book of Mormon more or less is testifying of the existence of a God. That's its primary purpose. As long as the text conveys that, then the whole story makes sense. The point of the story is the simple truth that Jesus would take upon him the sins of the world as a sacrifice, which technically if he frees people from all of their curses, then that should have been applied to the African Americans and that curse of Canaan as well. You do see in the Book of Mormon fruits of different people and how they were changed by God Um, And these people were exceptionally faithful. And so every prophet exhibits unique characteristics that are more refined and something of God. But the whole point of the record is they also include their errors and things that didn't go right, such as Moroni's letter to Pahoran, where Captain Moroni, who was a prophet, thought that Pahoran just was neglecting helping him when really he had his own problems. See, so it's as much a record of a civilization as you're going to get. You're going to get prophecies. You're going to get people's visions, their individual perspectives, things they just thought were good to include. And you're going to get truths outside of them and truths from within them um, and truths inspired of the Holy Ghost. It's a combination of all those. And you're likewise going to get errors from outside of them and from within them from other people. But whenever it's thus saith the Lord, that's undeniable truth right there. Even Alma, talking to one of his sons, doesn't know a whole lot about the resurrection. In Alma forty twenty, Alma says, Now my son, I do not say that their resurrection, which all people, uh, cometh at the resurrection of Christ, but behold, I give it as my opinion that the souls and the bodies are reunited of the righteous at the resurrection of Christ and his ascension into heaven. And he ended up being partly right. Not everybody righteous came up out of the graves, but there were people that did come up out of their graves when he was resurrected. But there are many people who not yet dead, and so therefore not yet resurrected. So what do you get when you say, I know the Book of Mormon's true? You're basically saying, I know that these people taught their people that Jesus Christ would come to them, but they were not perfect. And sometimes they lacked accuracy. Really, only Isaiah's words stand on a mountain of their own um, and the absolute accuracy and also poetry that they exhibit prophecies of who Jesus will be and what he will do. And even Jesus himself says, a commandment I give unto you that ye search these things diligently for great are the words of Isaiah. I don't know if he said anyone else's words were great except Isaiah's. Uh, and that's of course in 35 chapter 23 verse one. In fact, I think it's up to every individual which is why I'm getting the inspiration to share this with you guys, Um, it's up to the individual to be able to discern who he is to the greatest extent of precision that they can. And every prophet will get to a certain extent of precision in revealing who he is, which is what we call revelation. And he's able to reveal certain things. These prophets are able to reveal certain things, but if they don't do a good job of revealing it, Brigham Young may have not done the best job of, being able to detect if some of the things and the theories that he was talking about were true. Um, His gift of truth and error may have been a little underdeveloped in one area. And every prophet has varying degrees of this. I would actually say that Joseph Smith gained one of the highest degrees of this intelligence and being able to uncover the layers of the reality of truth, most likely because he's probably had the most contact with God, the father and his son, Jesus Christ than anyone, than any, any other prophet at any other time. So he's most familiar with their nature just by surely having been around them. And so that could also, because Brigham Young, I don't think had any experiences where he uh, either saw the plates or or even beheld Jesus Christ. I don't think there's a single instance when he's ever seen him. Um, Maybe there is. Regardless Maybe that's why Brigham Young made certain decisions that he made, right? Maybe he doesn't know, as a successor of Joseph Smith, what it's what being a prophet is supposed to be like, right? Because Joseph Smith definitely had no ideas; he just spoke what he knew was true, um, and he formulated everything on truth. But then Brigham Young probably looked at Joseph Smith as a model of how to, you know, how how do you reveal things yourself? And I mean, Brigham Young did have some pretty prolific things. Um, such as striking the ground, right, and and saying this is where the temple is going to be. I mean, that was that's a pretty cool thing, right? And then and then the temple is there, like fifty, however many years later. But maybe not everything that, maybe not every theory that Brigham Young came up with was one hundred percent accurate because he was just basing it on how he knew how to formulate thoughts and his only model on how to lead and prophesy was Joseph, you know. And yeah, he has the Holy Ghost with him, but. You know, he also got angry quite a, quite a bit. So maybe that influenced some things. Because like I said, anger can influence how you see truth. Every prophet then you can assume is subject to imperfections. Um, and every apostle and every church leader and church leaders do have problems. And I have seen this firsthand where they portray church leaders and, and prophets as perfect And that's not, and and as you have to be completely obedient to them. And I think that if we continue that tradition of pure obedience without really pondering and thinking, mainly without confirming with the Holy Ghost or with God directly, especially, you know, then you can fall into more of those traps where, you know, accidental racism. And of course, that's why President Nelson said, prayerfully ask the Lord to confirm that what you have heard is true. I would also add, Ask God what of what you heard is true. We have discussions every Sunday, not to just tell everybody what we already know. Um, It's to share thoughts that enlighten our minds and increase our understandings, okay? Because we're trying to share truth. That's why we come to church is to talk about truth. We don't come to church to talk about lies or skim over true accounts or to put on a fake smile when you aren't feeling happy. That's not... That's not the joy of the gospel. Joy in the gospel centers around truth in all of its forms. And that includes the reality of things as they really are. Not going deep enough into scriptures is where we get fake church that is of their own making. Even if it's in our church, that's still not real church. Okay, because that's that's just not. And I feel bad for any wards or any people um, that are in that situation right now because I know that I know that there are. Um, it's hard sometimes to grasp a lot of this deep stuff and it takes a lot of pondering, it takes a lot of thinking and it takes a lot of effort to really uncover these mysteries of God. So the author of the CS letter, I do like that he says this. He says, I would think Christ's one true church would have led the civil rights movement, not be the last major church on the planet in 1978 to adopt it. Yeah, I have to really... Agree with that—that that we dropped the ball on it, and we were behind. And I think again, the reason why we were behind was because we're we were only doing things according to leadership and obedience to leadership, and we were not doing things according to the true inspiration of God, studying it out in their minds sufficiently and praying about the matter and and being open to it. And instead, they were leaning on the arm of a previous prophet without asking any questions about it and without asking God about it. And and, the, and that's what can hinder progress—is when you when you make it about going through church leadership solely, even when things seem a little off, instead of going to God directly. And I so I really do actually like what this guy uh, put together here. That it means that this is not the true church. You have to, again, understand what true means. It can still have been established in the exact same way that Joseph Smith talked about. You just need to understand these people better And you don't have to repeat their mistakes, but you learn from them. And that's the entire point of why we go to church anyways. It also possibly suggests not that the church is not guided by God, but rather that God lets his church members and leaders make these mistakes. And he lets them make them for long periods of time, apparently. And he doesn't say anything about them, but maybe he waits to see if someone gets it before he tells them uh, what they should do about it. And that's, again, that takes faith, right? Would have taken them a whole lot of faith to, to be the arbiters of the civil rights movement, right? Like this author said, it would have taken a lot of faith. They would have had to stand against a lot of society. Again, these situations mirror when Jesus comes to the earth and you have a whole set of church leaders at that time, which were the Pharisees, the Sadducees, and the scribes, who saw things one way, But then Jesus comes and says, ah, I have a bit of a different way of doing things and we're going to change some things. And Jesus could have corrected them at any time over the years, right? Could have corrected them at any time in the Old Testament and they go off track a lot, but he doesn't. He waits until he's there in person to correct them. So clearly there's a lesson there to be learned on how God lets his children learn. God also let his people in the Book of Mormon in those Old Testament times learn, make observations on their own. And instead, what we see in the Book of Mormon is a set of people that by the time that he comes, there is a set of people that does get him, that was obedient, that did understand and not obedient only to church leaders, but obedient to God, to the commandments, which church leaders were messengers of. And so they're prepared and they receive amazing miracles as a result. Behind the revelation uh, that led to the lifting of the band, it basically says on Wikipedia, Kimball began by describing his studies, thoughts, and prayers and removing the restriction and on his growing assurance that the time had come for the change. Mm-hmm. When they, This is when they met with general authorities in the Salt Lake Temple. Kimball asked each of the men to present their views and all spoke in favor of changing the policy. Uh, After all present shared their views, Kimball led the gathered apostles in a prayer circle to seek final divine approval for the change. As Kimball prayed, many in the group recorded feeling a powerful spiritual confirmation. There's no words to describe sensation, but simultaneously the 12 and the three members of the first presidency had the Holy Ghost descend upon them and they knew that God had manifested his will. I had had some remarkable spiritual experiences there, but nothing of this magnitude. You know, in my mind, this only came about because one person started feeling like it was uh it was time to say something and then president kimball asked god and that's how it happened see just like joseph smith god's only gonna give you an answer to something if you study about it you study it out in your mind in your heart just study it and then you ask god and you ask him the question Doctrine of Covenants 9.8. Behold, I say unto you that you must study it out in your mind, and then you must ask me if it be right. And if it be right, I will cause that your bosom shall burn within you. Matthew 7, 7. Ask and it shall be given you. If President Kimball didn't study about it and ask God about it and pray about it, God would have probably never answered President Kimball's question had he never asked. Thankfully, right, our church figured it out and they repented and they changed their mind and their view and and their perspective on these things, but of course it took a little, uh, you know, tummy rub, goodsy woodsy feeling to to flood over everyone to confirm that they were doing was wrong and that they needed to lift the ban on the priesthood for African-Americans, even though a sensible human being clearly see that isn't the most Jesus-like thing, judging people based on their appearance that is inherent to them, put a few points together and I think that's what maybe the Lord would rather have instead of having to conjure up a you know, a washing of the the bosom, but uh And God's timing is interesting. I for one think that had they made the decision earlier to allow African Americans to do this, they would have they would have questioned a lot the possibility of errors in the Prophet and they probably wouldn't have known how to have handled that. Um I think that the church needed to mature a little bit, in my opinion, to be able to handle this new revelation and what it meant because what it meant was that a prophet had been wrong and not just wrong, wrong about a core fundamental doctrine. So, you know, think about the implications of that in a church that has been growing steadily and has been reliant upon the prophetic nature of prophets and the power of their words. So if you think about it, yeah, the church needed to mature a little bit and establish itself before they could begin repenting of things, which is interesting. It is also interesting that God claims the credit for this change because of the spiritual confirmation from the Holy Ghost, right? Because that's what actually facilitated the change. Regardless of whether you pray about it, it's the Holy Ghost, right? So God takes the credit for it and God knows everyone's mistakes. So, and Jesus atoned for everyone's mistakes. So again, in the face of mistakes, our eyes are brought to Jesus. The process of the restoration of the church, which we call ongoing, which President Nelson says is ongoing, is a lot like restoring anything, really, like a, a car. You know, if you restore a car, it's uh, been tattered. It's been, all these things have been done to it by nature, um, abused by the owner, whoever, right? And uh, little by little, every area, you fix here, you fix there, you fix here, you fix there. Goal is to have a smooth running engine. And there's still some some things going on with the engine. But for now, it runs. And honestly, our church now is at a point that is quite unbelievable considering all the things that have happened. And I think that goes for you know even the Catholic Church and all these other churches. Um, but I do know, especially our church, we have come quite a long way. And I guess our claim to fame is that we believe that our church is the original car... <laughs> Um, that Jesus drove, metaphorically speaking. You know, he took this wheel. And I think there are people that don't care as much as to whether it's the original car, though there are those that do care. Uh, It's just uh, whether or not there's imperfections or flaws on its paint or in the engine or wherever else. And I get the feeling that this guy who wrote the CES letter doesn't like the fact that there are inconsistencies and that there are errors, um, even in profits, and apostles um, and yet where are you going to find better examples of people like where you know the, there's there's the Roman Catholic Church which they've had popes and popes have had issues over the years too the catholic church and christians in general actually in the in the middle ages uh, had plenty of problems and this just comes from uh, lasentinel.net and this is according to africa W.com, which is a premier informational website available throughout the continent. The transatlantic slave trade was introduced by the coming of the Europeans who came with the Bible in the same manner that Arab raiders and traders from the Middle East and North America introduced Islam through the trans-Saharan slave trade. In fact, the church was the backbone of the slave trade, the authors wrote. In other words, most of the slave traders and slave ship captains were very good Christians. Um, for example, Sir John Hawkins, the first slave ship captain to bring African slaves to the Americas. Uh, and this is still uh, by this article by Stacy M. Brown, um, who's the NNPA Newswire contributor, published uh, February 7th, 2019 on LosSentinel.net. This man, Sir John Hawkins, uh, he was a religious man who insisted that his crew serve God daily and love one another. His ship ironically called the good ship. Jesus left the shores of his native England for Africa in October, 1562. Some historians argue that if churches had used their power, the Atlantic slave trade might never have occurred. Now, of course the Catholic church is also famous for much of the torture that occurred in the Middle Ages, mainly due to what was called the Inquisition, which was their attempt at stopping heretical uh, people, heresies. And this is just according to WikiDiff, the difference between heresy and blasphemy. Heresy is when someone upholds a religious view that's at variance with the established religious view, especially you know with dissension from Roman Catholic dogma. But Mainly it's difference between established religion. It's having a different view um, than something established. And blasphemy is irreverence towards something considered sacred, which of course we know that Jesus not only went against the established religion at the time by breaking different rules like Shabbat law, but he also was considered a blasphemer, right? Where Jesus was then killed because he went against the established religion. He went against the Pharisees, the scribes and claim to be God because he was God. Again, we see the Catholic Church exhibiting a number of torture devices during the Inquisition period where they would conduct trials of suspected heretics. It's fascinating that they then repeat the manner of method by which Jesus was killed, killing people in similar manners. It makes sense that they might revert to this considering the fact that they glorified the torture device that, of course, was used to kill Jesus, right? The cross, the cross was their symbol, which was the cross is a torture device during the inquisition period by the Roman Catholic church of those torture devices used. One of these devices, according to the finer times.com was called the knee splitter. And the knee splitter was one of the most popular devices for middle age torture, which was used largely during the inquisition. The knee splitter split the offender's knees so that the knees would become non-functional. A lot of Things were done to either force people to become Christian or to force people to revoke any view um, that wasn't in line with the church um, at the time. And they definitely tortured homosexuals quite extensively. There's this thing called the choke pair, um, which was used to inflict torture through the vaginal and rectal areas or the mouth. Um, Yeah, it was used to punish women accused of having intercourse with Satan, (laughs) whatever that is. Um, and males who are homosexual. So, you know, these are things <laughs> that, that, that the Catholic Church has, that they had going on. So, I mean, and those were just two, just two of the torture, of the many torture devices that they used um, to torture and just absolutely obliterate the bodies of people who they believed sinned or were caught in acts of sinning. And it makes you think, right? Because they had the account of the adulterous woman written in the Bible. They had that account of a woman caught in adultery. For some reason, the fact that Jesus. Told all the people who wanted to stone the adulterous woman to death, he that is without sin among you, let him first cast the stone at her. I guess, uh, I guess the Catholics missed the memo in the Middle Ages. I guess they just didn't read the book in front of them. See, this is why, this is why, it's possible that this church, this Catholic church, never had the authority to do anything in God's name because none of these things that were done in God's name show the marks of Jesus, right? We see uh, we see terrorist groups in the Middle East where, for instance, in 2014 by a terrorist group, which I will not identify the name, uh, but a woman was stoned to death. And so you see these like, things that Jesus dealt with, and you saw how Jesus dealt with the adulterous woman. And this woman was stoned to death for adultery in 2014, right? So there's a pattern wherever Jesus is not, you will see people doing things that he did not do and do, and handling them in the way that they handled them before Jesus came as if Jesus never had come. And so you can only find the truth in places where church members handle things, how he handled them in the New Testament. And that is the bottom line. If things are not handled the way Jesus handled them in the New Testament, whether it's the Church of Jesus Christ, Latter-day Saints or the Catholic Church or any church, then Jesus is not really there. He's just not. And there's a scripture that is in the Book of Mormon and it's Alma 12, 18. Alma says, I say unto you, they shall be as though there had been no redemption made for they cannot be redeemed according to God's justice because they die what's called a spiritual death because they have killed the truth. They've killed the life of Christ. And that is what every church should be, should beware heavily of doing repentance is is predicated upon doing things in the manner that Jesus did them, approaching issues in the way that Jesus did them. You can know if you need to repent if you do not approach an issue the way Jesus approaches it. That's it. That's all you need to know about repentance. And thankfully, thankfully now, most people and definitely most churches today have repented, they have changed their ways, and they do think a lot, a lot more like Jesus. That goes for the Catholic Church, that goes for the Latter-day Saint Church, that goes for every church that now exhibits the mannerisms that Jesus Christ truly did. It seems that the pitfall into this spiritual death, into accidentally crucifying Jesus again, is when we don't consider all of the knowledge that is before us plainly, that is written down in the scriptures, that is just there. We don't want to fall into the same category where there's a book in front of us and we haven't really done our reading. We haven't really looked at every verse. And so if we come across a verse that talks about how the Lamanites were cursed with a curse of black skin to make them not enticing to Nephi's people, I think it's important that we consider all pieces of information within the book of Mormon to help us formulate and understand what was going on. Um, and if Nephi said this was really the Lord, if it was a thus saith the Lord moment, which it was, then what does that maybe tell us about God, right? If that is true and that God cursed them that way, right, then, then what does that say? What, is, what does that say about, about God? And if we say the Book of Mormons true, then you have to know what that means. Does that mean that what Nephi was saying was true? God really did curse them with the skin of blackness, uh, according to, I guess what, the, what Native Americans look like, um, because knowing that the Lamanites are the descendants of Native Americans, right? And, and so the context would that be dark skin would be the skin color of Native Americans, right? Which is a darker, which is a darker skin than normal. All right, so here's the answer. You ready for it? We technically live in a cursed world. I don't know if ever, if anybody ever thought about that, but the nice, beautiful trees outside and the pretty land and the oceans, um, this world is a cursed world ever since Adam partake of the fruit, yet it's so beautiful. The bodies we have are cursed. They all die. Even if you're a fair-skinned white babe, you are still cursed because you die because of Adam and Eve's transgression. So... What's it to you if your skin's also a little cursed? (laughs) See, it's funny because we care so deeply about the mistakes of people in the past and what the consequences of their actions were, yet we live with the mistakes of people from the past now. The entire point of Jesus is to vindicate those mistakes of our past ancestors so that we would be clean ourselves, even though we live with the mistakes of them. See, there's a pattern where God lets Our mistakes now affect generations beyond us and is to teach us a lesson, the impact of our choices. Thanks for listening to the In Search of Truth podcast with Marcus Joseph. Up next, episode four, Original Guilt, Sex and Polygamy.